right, welcome into another episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. My name is Rick McClatchy. I'm your host today. I'm a staff pastor at Manor House Church in Portland, Oregon. And uh, today I welcome back uh, my honored guest, Professor Lanny Hubbard from Portland Bible College, uh, back uh, to, to give us another installment of our uh, why study the Bible series really is kind of where we started. Uh, we established why is studying the Word of God important. Then in the next uh, conversation that we had, we went and talked a little bit more about uh, the different translations of the Bible and what's all that about. And then after we got done talking about that, uh, we've uh, got to dig into the whole conversation of context and interpretation. And so um, obviously uh, the Word of God was written years and years ago by a number of different authors in different literary genres, etc., etc., making a uh, just a glancing view of, of it to be potentially a little confusing. And so I love having an expert come in and help us begin to understand tools and options and ways that we can dig into the Word of God. Uh, and, and to be like the Bible says, a, a workman rightly dividing the Word of Truth, that we can understand the Bible for what it was actually meant to say to us, that we can properly apply it to our lives. Uh, because the difference between the wise man and the foolish man was both of them heard the Word, but only one of them put it into practice. And we want to be people that have our houses built on a firm foundation with that Lanny Hubbard. Welcome in. How are you today? Doing good, Rick. Yeah. Thanks for technology. You're in my uh, bedroom at this point. I had no idea that you're going to be here. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, give me a give me a little sneak peek. Where are we going today? What's what's our target? Today, what we're going to look at a little bit is uh, the tools that can be made available to individuals to fill in some of the gaps that we talked about last session when we we're looking at context. How do we get the information, the background information? And we can't create that stuff out of thin air. We have to find uh, places where we can get it, where we can access it. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit, different kinds of information, what to kind of look for. Uh, in these, uh, what they provide, and some of the differences, hoping then that, that I'll touch the heartstrings of some of the people, and, and it will be just a good avenue for them to begin to get what they need. So, Yeah, I think that um, you've done such a great job in our first few conversations of laying the groundwork of why should I study the Bible, and then kind of, you know, I could even see maybe a few uh, listeners have even gone out and maybe purchased another another Bible because they wanted a particular uh, translation or they wanted that CSB study Bible that you talked so highly about and um, and that kind of thing. And and so there's this hunger kind of stirring in their hearts. And so I love I love being able to come in and and, uh, and I love that a lot of the resources that you mentioned are actually free. So there isn't even a monetary barrier to uh, getting people to a place where they can study the Word of God uh, in, from a pr pretty good level, you know? I mean, you can do some pretty decent Bible study uh, without having to shell out a whole bunch of money on right. tools. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm really excited uh, to dig into this. And so um, why don't you just, uh, just uh, take us uh, to... You know, the tools of biblical study, ground level, where do we start? We first start with a very simple idea, and it's one that is true for any form of education. If we're going to learn, we have to be exposed to the different areas now that are involved with that particular area of learning. And, I, you know, of all the things that we need to do, a good student of the Bible needs to be an avid reader. Um, reading is one of the ways that we get in a lot of the information, the data that we work with. And reading is also, over the years, I found one of the ways that I come into connection with other sources. Uh, it's the biggest challenge. I know I talk to students all the time. They can go to a library. Uh, maybe they'll go in Portland here one, to one of our seminary libraries, and they're pretty extensive and they're nice. And they walk in and it's, it's a little bit scary because 
you have no idea where do I even start? Where do I go? And you can spend a whole lot of time in one of those libraries and not find anything simply because you don't know where to start, what section you go to, what are the books that are going to be the, the best fit for what you look at. But reading, what I, I find is as the more I read, different authors then are going to probably point me and the people who are listening to this podcast in directions where the reader then can say, okay, what if I want more of this? You're telling me one thing, and I, you caught my interest at this point, but where can I go to get more? And so I'm going to try to, to lay out for you some ideas uh, behind that, uh, why we want to read, because these authors, a lot of them are degreed people, they're very smart in their particular areas, and they will take the time to point us in the right direction if we'll follow the trail, the breadcrumbs that they leave behind. I find that reading a lot too also helps us because uh, by reading different writers, you get different perspectives on an issue. Um, the ch challenge approach limited to our lack of education in the Bible or whatever. And so we go to the Bible with our background, our heritage, our history, everything else. And that it can be a good thing, but it can also limit us because those things will hold us back to maybe new areas that we need to venture into. By reading a lot, you'll listen to a writer and, and you'll listen to how he presents his case. You'll pre listen to the evidence that he presents for his particular position. And it allows you to kind of follow his line of thought. What are his main facts? What are his biggest supportive evidence? Do I think that's strong or do I think he's just blowing a smokescreen at this point? But I need to see where these people are coming from as we go through. And that, that'll help me eventually to know, okay, if I'm going to do a good job on this study, I may have to consider some things that I wouldn't naturally consider. This guy or this author, this lady has broadened me a little bit, but maybe there's another side to this issue that I'm not familiar with. And I might have to do a little bit of brush up at this point to do that. And I, I just jotted some things down, I think are, are crucial as we go down and look at this, that the more you read, you're going to develop a feel for uh, uh, several things. Number one, you're gonna develop a feel for publishing houses. Uh, there are several different major publishing houses that produce Christian material out there. And each of them has a different set of values. Each of them has a different perspective uh, that most of their authors will write from. For instance, I can go to Zondervan, and that represents a main evangelical perspective on Christianity. It's a wide variety of different writers from denominations, but they fit within that category that we would call evangelical. They believe in the inerrant word of God. They believe in the work of Christ. They believe in globalization of the gospel and mission. So those are some of their core values. And so their writers that they let write in there basically share those values. I can go to Baker or InterVarsity Press, and those are basically more academic in nature, especially IBP. And so maybe the kind of book that I need is going to be not a, a, a light reading novel, but it's going to be a very specialized book on a particular area that I'm looking at. And that's kind of IVP tends to write material that will be used for textbooks and classes uh, in Bible colleges and seminaries. And so they write at that scholarly level. Uh, I can go into a, a company like Hendrickson, and that's going to be a, a publishing house that tends to be and produce material from writers who are sympathetic to a charismatic and Pentecostal. Now, not everything they do is Pentecostal, but some of the, the fine books on Holy Spirit and things like that, Hendrickson is going to foster that. That's a bent that that publishing house has. Craigel is more uh, liberal in nature. Uh, you read through some of their scholars and you get quite a wide variety of some of your textual critical stuff and liberal stuff, contemporary, but not your mainline Christian stuff. Uh, some of them, like Fortress, are going to be a, a very traditional Lutheran background, and you're going to get a perspective from scholars that, that share that. So. I say that to say that after a while, the more you read, the more you kind of get a feel for what you can expect from different publishing houses. If I buy a, a book that's put out by Crossway and so forth, 
it's probably going to come from a reformed Calvinist perspective because a lot they produce the ESV translation, you know, and they're, they're the ones that are publishing it. And so you know that ahead of time, and it kind of lets you know, okay, if I go to a book from one of these, I'll do that. I'll find that. You'll find also that the more you read, the more you'll become familiar with particular names, authors. I have a list of authors that are my favorites. I look for anything they write because I've read enough of their stuff to realize I really like their perspective. I like the way that they approach their material. And there are other writers that I've read that I won't buy another book from them just because uh, they handle things so poorly, they weren't honest, or they weren't good writers. Uh, you know, if you're going to take the time to read a book, uh, the author's got to be good enough for you to read. And some people, they produce books, but they're not good writers. And uh, even though they may have a PhD after their name, you learn after a while that just because they're brilliant in an area doesn't mean they can communicate in an area. And so there's a difference between being a scholar and being a teacher. And so stuff by people who have the gift of complex thought, making it simple, making it understandable, really telling it enough that you can follow through. And so you'll get a, a list of your favorite writers, the ones that you are good. And then uh, different series, there are like different commentary series or Bible background series. And you'll learn to recognize these series. They'll come up and put notes and so forth and go around it. And which ones are going to be good. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go later. And you'll see that. Also, you'll find, a, and there's a couple of big uh, publishing houses. Zondervan is one and Rodman Holman is one. That produced what we call uh, books of multiple perspectives. Zondervan series called Counterpoint. And so they'll take theological issues, take, for instance, this is just a random one, they'll take like the issue of eternal security. And so they'll take that theological issue and they will contract with four different writers that come from different opinions on that. And each writer will present their case for why they believe the way they do. And then the other writers will be able to respond to it, respond to their writing. And they're usually very gracious to each other. They don't agree with each other, but they're not there to, to crucify each other and pick on them. And, and a, a series like that is really good because you may find one that, okay, I like that view. Well, make sure you read the others too, because you need to see it from the other perspectives to see if, okay, I'm justified in saying I like that view. My students tell me all the time, they come in and says, well, I, I really like this perspective. And I said, why? Don't tell me you like it. You have to explain why. You have to explain to me why it's better than somebody else. Or I'll assign a book and they say, I don't agree with this. I said, fine, tell me why you don't. Okay, you know, yeah, and we yeah. have to come to a place where we can interact with some of these people. Because some, people are, some folks are just afraid of that. They're afraid of, of multiple opinions. But yet, it's, it's in the dialoguing back and forth that we sharpen ourselves. It forces us to see the weak points in our own beliefs, our presuppositions. And part of learning is I have to be willing to admit I don't know everything. And that's why I'm in this process of learning. I have to let somebody challenge my points of view. And if they're weak, I have to be willing to step in and do that. And so some of these series, they just do that. Um, another good source of information for people is to check some of your Christian periodicals because several of them will produce uh, book lists regularly. I know Christianity Today at the end of every calendar year will produce one of their last editions in December and it will have a book review of all the new Christian books that were released in that calendar year. And it gives a great summary and a review of each of those. And they will divide them up into categories. So one of the people that's listening here may have a real interest in like apologetics. And so they'll have books within that apologetic or within science and creation apologetics and stuff and recommendations of new ones that have come out. Uh, World Magazine, which is a great little Christian periodical, they do uh, books, uh, reviews, almost in all of their issues, but they'll have one issue every year where they'll go back and review again new Christian books uh, put out in these different areas, whether it's personal growth, whether it's pastoral ministry, whether it's philosophical stuff, whether it's Christianity and culture type of stuff, and what are the new books that came into, and they write short write-ups, you can get a feel for what the book's about, and where it's gonna go. 
And it's nice to read those before you take the time and the money to actually buy one. Get a feel, this is something I think I'm gonna use. So I really watch those kinds of uh, reviews that are out there. And as you go through and do it, then uh, just a couple other quick things that you can do, and that is as you're reading a book or an article, because some of you will go on the internet and you'll go into one of the websites that I'm gonna mention in a minute, and you'll read an article, and you want to look and see at the end of the article whether the author has put in endnotes or footnotes and whatever. And so if you read something in a, an article and you really like it, see if it's been cited, if it's been annotated, and follow your footnotes. Because sometimes the author will bring in one little point because it's consistent with the paper he's writing, but if I can track down that source, I may get a whole bunch more, which really expands that. So I find that I look for that. I look for an index in the back of a book uh, that can get me information very quickly. I look for good notes, uh, whether it's an end note or whether it's a footnote. I really don't care. Footnotes are nice because they're right on the same page. You don't have to flip back and forth. Maybe read, follow a note down and see where the author got that information and just jot that down. I want to check this one out. I want to check this book out or see if I can find this, this article and so forth. So just really read with an eye that uh, this reading may help point me in the right direction to get more information. One of my favorite Bible dictionaries, and that's the one I recommend for my class at the college, is the New Bible Dictionary. It's in its third edition right now, but one of the features of the New Bible Dictionary is at the end of every major article that it has, it gives you bibliographical material where you can go to, because purpose of a Bible dictionary is not to exhaust every topic. It gives you a little bit to work with, but if it's caught your interest, it's said, why don't you see if you can find this book, this periodical, and so forth. And I've given you, you know, two paragraphs worth of material, but if you look at the bibliography, this author commits 60 pages to the topic, and that's going to give you a whole lot more you can work with somewhere else. And so just watch those. Follow the trail. Those are the breadcrumbs, as it were, to look at that kind of information. So before we jump in any sources, any particular things, does that help or do you have any questions there? Or? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great uh, overview of just the value of kind of becoming a learner in general and, and like broadening your horizons a little bit. Um, I guess one question I would kind of fire back at you is, there's some kind of crazy people out there um, that have some really uh, interesting ideas. Um, so, so some people, especially kind of in the beginning of their journey into digging into the word of God and understanding it and trying to figure out how do I apply this to my life, um, there can be like this fear, like how, how do I maybe protect myself? I don't know if that's the right way to like say it, but how do I keep myself from going off the deep end in some weird theological, you know, uh, wormhole or whatever? Like, you have any guiding principles that kind of help you there? What I would suggest is that if they want to go into an area like theology, and theology is where you find a lot of your variants, that they locate for themselves some good books that are specifically what we call systematic theological books. These are the books that take the doctrines of the Bible and they break them down into all the subcategories and the things that the Bible have to say. But buy the ones that are, or get a hold of the ones that are well recognized within the broader sphere of Christianity. Where people get in trouble is where they go to an isolated website where this guy's got ideas, but you know what? 99% of the Christianity doesn't share those ideas. This is a fringe guy. He's out there totally on his own, and somebody just stumbled across him in his web browser, and they're looking around, and they run into it. Take the guys that you know represent the majority of your mainline thought and denominations in there and get used to some of the ideas that they have, which are consistent in the majority of Christendom. These are consistent values dealing with the character of God, the nature of Christ, and so forth. Once you develop a general good base, then that will help you to identify the guys that are going off on the fringes. You've got something to work with. You've got something to, it's your litmus paper. And it says, boy, this, 
this really isn't sounding like what Erickson said or Wayne Grudem said in his book or anything like that. And those can become safeguards. Now, can those bigger works be limiting a little bit? They can, but you know, it's better to have a broad general base that you can venture out with and you start with caution before you just go out into that which sounds the most intriguing or the most novel and everything. That's where people get in trouble. They have no Bible background and they just jump onto one of these fringe sites and and they they start reading this guy. And you can tell things by websites. Uh, just look at them. You can tell by the grammar that's used. You can tell by the vocabulary that's used. Is this guy got any kind of education? Can he even write? Does he even finish his sentences? Or is he just on a rant? Look at the, uh, the pictures that they use in there. Are they inflammatory pictures? Does he make hyperbolic statements that he never supports? He just expects everybody to agree with him. Uh, there has to be a way of evaluating the quality of material that you're going to get from like your websites and so forth. But there are some great general theological books. Uh, uh, Christian Theology by Milliard uh, Erickson is considered to be the standard of uh, evangelical systematic theology. Systematic theology. Uh, Tony Lane has called uh, one of his uh, encountering uh, Christian theology. It's it's shorter, it's not as lengthy, contemporary, but yet he's got strong traditional roots. He's British, and so he's coming back from a, a strong British perspective at that point. And there's some, some good sources that you can get into without getting too slanted, where everything is just going to be hard five-point Calvinism, or it's going to be extreme liberalism where they question the authenticity of the Word of God. So start with your main stuff. Start with your stuff that's strong. And then you work out and venture out as you've got a good solid base to do it. Be my recommendation. Cool. So really quickly before we um, move on to the next thing is, um, can you give a really quick definition of what systematic, what a systematic theology book is for for someone that's maybe never heard that term? Sure. When you study all the teachings of the Bible, and there there's a lot of them what scholars have tried to do because the bible gives you little bits and pieces in different books it will mention one doctrine in, in one book but that author in that book will only give you enough of that doctrine to substantiate the point that he's making in that book he's not going to exhaust everything that the bible as a whole will say systematic theology will go through the bible thematically topic by topic and it will try to gather together all the scriptures on a certain topic and put them all in one place, like a dictionary, an encyclopedia, so that when you want to know about something like justification or redemption or glorification, it will give you all the scriptures, and it will show you how different authors in the Bible and uh, present material on that. So when they take, and they take all the topics in the Bible, they sort them out into groups, and they put all the different things the Bible says into these groups, and then they put those groups together side by side, and they form a system or a grid. This grid represents all the main teachings of the Bible as they're summarized down and consolidated at this point. And that grid then is how when I go to the Bible, I interpret something. I interpret it through what I've learned through this system of thought or this grid, this way of categorizing and putting together all that. So most of your systematic theologies will divide all the different doctrine in the Bible into 10 different categories. And some will go nine, some will go 10, some will divide one up into 11. But generally speaking, doctrine is divided into 10 different categories. The first one is bibliology, which is the study not just of the Bible, but how was the Bible formed? What does the Bible say of it? Is it inspired, inerrant? Some of these uh, words that we hear, uh, revelation, uh, who are the authors of the Bible? How did God communicate? Anything that had to do with the nature of the Bible and how it was put together will be under the doctrine of bibliology. Then you have theology itself, which is a doctrine of God. And so everything, his nature, his character, his actions, uh, his being, his relationship to creation, all of that is put under the category of, of theology. Then you've got Christology, everything about Christ. You've got pneumatology, everything about the spirit. And so a good systematic theology will divide up these categories and break them down into pieces that are manageable. And then they will give you the scriptures from all over the Bible that 
feed into or develop those different areas that you go through. Is it large and extensive? Yeah. And Milliard Erickson's book that I mentioned a minute ago, it's 900 pages long. And so it will take, you know, those 10 different areas, but it will develop them. Now, not every area of doctrine is as massive as others. Uh, some of them are extremely, like you get into the, uh, the area we would call it the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, where you've got all kinds of stuff in there. You've got man's need for salvation, what provides salvation, how is salvation, what are the benefits of the atonement, what is the nature of the, and you have all this stuff that all centers on the work of Jesus Christ and how it relates to animal sacrifice, the at temporary atonement system they had in the Old Testament, all of that. I mean, you, you're going to get 300 pages just on that one doctrine alone, you know, but it'll divide it up so that you can break it down into bite-sized pieces, depending on which area of that you're you're looking at. So that's a system. And each year, major groups of theology will have its own system because at the heart of all of that, the, the overarching principle that determines how they organize all of this is usually one main thought. For instance, if you go back into uh, if you go back in Lutheranism and so forth, one main thought justification by grace. That's the thought that set Martin Luther free. And so he's going to interpret everything based upon God's revelation of justification through faith all the way through the Old Testament. And you know, if you go into Reformed theology, their main linchpin is the sovereignty of God. And so everything, they're going to interpret everything in light of the fact that God is sovereign, not human institutions and everything else. And that is going to determine the kind of grid that they have. Uh, with others, as you go on, you'll find other um, linchpin, if you want to call it, of uh, their theology, and that determines a little bit of the shades and the nuances of some of the different systems. So why is Lutheranism different than Calvinism, and why is that different than Arminianism, and why is that different than dispensationalism? Because they're all different branches of Christianity. They're all our cousins out there, but they all have a, a different emphasis because they have created just a little bit different grid that they go in. We need to kind of get to know what that systematic theology or that grid is. It takes a little bit of time to get to get used to that, but there are some people that can help with that too. And then when you say that uh, you basically start with the major the major doctrines of the Bible, you'll see tons and tons of agreement even amongst those oh, yeah. cousins. Sure. And then as you get into further out concentric circles, if you will of the uh, theological onion or whatever, the, the further out you get, then that's where you'll get more and more disagreement on the, the further out points that are exactly. maybe less, less critical. That's exactly right. You'll find that uh, all of your major branches of Christianity, when you look at all their doctrines, in the middle of them, there will be a core group of doctrines, which are the unchangeables. They are the non-negotiable issues. The Word of God, uh, the nature of God, the nature of Jesus Christ, and so forth. These are the things that are non-negotiable. And guess what? I can go to a Reformed systematic theology and read about those, and it's going to be very similar to what I find if I went to a Wesleyan Bible, because these don't change. Now, it's when I get beyond that core into secondary issues, which are not absolute essential, they're important. But we've got some fudging room out here because our salvation is not dependent on some of those issues. The further those concentric rings go out, you go out from absolute necessity down to important but not crucial out to just speculation and opinion. And that's when you get out into some of your fringe areas. And this is what some of your, your spiraling groups is. They focus on one of these fringe groups rather than the core of their faith. And those little fringe things out there become their distinctive. And people like these distinctives. They, it makes them different. They stand out. They don't want to be part of just this big group called Christian. They want to be special Christians. They want to have a belief that makes them unique and different. And so they will emphasize one of these little things that maybe there's very little in the Bible about. They may build their theology on one or two key ideas that are out there rather than building on the main hub of really what our salvation is dependent upon in the middle. And some people love it out there. They love the questions. They love the intrigue. They love, it's like Paul and 
when he writes in the New Testament or Peter says they deal with things like myths and genealogy and endless speculations, and that's what they love to do. Why? Because there's not a whole lot of material out there to really make it black and white and pin it down. So you need to get back to the unchangeable. What makes me a Christian? Well, what makes me a Christian is not whether my wife wears a head covering to church. What makes me a Christian is not that I go to church on Sunday or Saturday. What makes me a Christian is not whether I eat meat or not. What makes me a Christian is my faith in Jesus Christ, who he is, the work that he's done. I got to keep the main things, the main things, and keep the peripheral things out there in their proper place. Awesome. That's uh, such good, such good information. So, um, so we're going to become people that are, that are readers. We want to be students. And that means don't recreate the wheel in a sense. There's people that have been studying the word of God for many years and have documented all kinds of things. And so why not benefit from the work that has already been done? Um, so that's, that's great stuff. I love the systematic theology um, recommendation. I think that, uh, I think a lot of people don't even know what that is for a long time. Um, and actually, um, I, I've just, every once in a while, I'll just pick up a systematic theology book and just read like parts about who God is. And um, man, it's so like, cause it just takes all of the scriptures that talk about that, that uh, aspect of who God is. And it just like blows it up and you're like, whoa, God is amazing. And so there's something that's so powerful about just training ourselves to look at these things and, and dig in. Uh, so that's an incredible tool. So we we talked, you know, in a previous episode together about uh, Bible translations, and you did such a great job of laying the groundwork of where all of those came from, and and even the the formal, the dynamic, and the paraphrase. So the difference of word for word translation, the thought for thought dynamic translations, and then and then you know the the paraphrase uh, category the uh, maybe the passion translation and and the message those uh, and then the living bible from way back right so um don't forget so, the co cotton patch version don't forget the cotton oh patch my version. bad <laughs> that's my bad <laughs> um and so um i i have just a couple of tools that come to my mind and if maybe we could just do a quick bang 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 like this is what that tool is for so bible dictionary concordance uh, word study tools, like what's that look like, um, manners and customs kind of stuff, and then a topical Bible, like just like a scratch the surface, you know, I mean, there's obviously commentaries, and I guess you could take a second to tell us, you know, what's a commentary? So just, uh, it doesn't have to be a super long description of each of those, but like, what do all those words mean? Bible dictionary, what it will do, and there are multiple ones. Each of your major publishing houses has their own. They'll give you a single volume, usually about 950 pages long, and it will cover every person, place, and object, and book, and theology referred to in the Bible. And so that if you're reading through your Bible and you run into the name of a, a geographical location, you can look it up. It'll tell you where it's at. Sometimes it will give you a little map. And then it will give you a little short history of events in the Bible that took place at that location. Why is that important? What you know took place? And so uh, a good Bible dictionary is what I call a quick reference, because usually you'll open it up and you'll find two or three short paragraphs. It will give you general Bible background. It will give you scripture references where that person, place, object, or whatever was mentioned. And so, boy, you read that, and now you can go back to your Bible, and you can keep reading with some understanding because, you know, it's, it's broadened that. Now, some of your dictionaries get more extensive. You can get into some of your multi-volume series, uh, some of your Bible encyclopedias or your uh, Anchor Bible Dictionary, which is six volumes long. It probably represents about 5,000 pages worth of material. Very scholarly, very heady, but see... You get into these to the degree that you want to get that deep into that kind of background stuff. I'd start with a single volume of good Bible dictionary. 
that will expose you to everything. So it's, you're going to find reference to everything, something, a dictionary that's indexed well. And so you can find not only scripture references, but topics that are going to be referred to in there and so forth. Because sometimes they'll list a, something under a, a different word than what you're looking at. You're reading one translation that uses this term, and you look that term up, and it, you don't find it. Well, maybe there's information under another English term that's in there. So you want a good dictionary that will guide you there. So that's going to be your buddy. That's your buddy that gives you all your background, your culture, your history, your stuff like that. So you start with that. You can get some of your manners and customs material out of that. You can get some of your culture material out of a good Bible dictionary. So they're very versatile. It's worth spending the money. You can. A concordance now is where you it will take all the words in a certain piece of literature. It's like an index of words. You'll look up a particular word and it will give you every occurrence of that particular word throughout a the, your Bible in this situation. So I, I'm reading through and I find an English word and I want to maybe study on that English word. I look it up in a concordance and it will give me every time that particular English word is used in there. And so I can start looking up the different references and reading them and I start accumulating a body of information because I'm looking at verses where that particular word is used. Very helpful. They're very beneficial. Um, your good concordances, well, most of your Bible software, now that you have with logos and everything else, they have a search mechanism that if, say, for instance, you're using a certain translation, you can type a word in and it will take you and give you every occurrence of that word in that translation. Uh, so Blue Letter Bible, uh, Bible Gateway, uh, Bible Hub, and so forth. Uh, you can pick your Bible translation and type in your word and it will track that word through that particular translation word searches. Uh, a good concordance, though, uh, um, what we would call an exhaustive one, is one that not only will give you a list of all those, but it will also help the reader to get past the English translation to the original Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew from which their English Bible was translated. Uh, because simple principle, and we, and we learn it, and that is this, English is a great language, but there is no such thing as a perfect translation because no two languages uh, are a direct reflection of each other. Say, for instance, you start with Hebrew. Hebrew will have some words in the Hebrew language, but there is no one single English word that will represent it. Or you go otherwise, you can find, uh, for instance, a Hebrew word that is so broad in general in its nature that that one Hebrew word will be translated as many as 30 different ways in our Bible because it's very broad in nature. And so I may be looking up just one of those translations. I, I need to get back to the original word to say, okay, what's the basic idea? So I need a concordance that has a, a connector between my English translation and the originals from which this English translation was taken from. There are in print, there are really only three uh, major concordances now that have that language tool that will take you from the English back into the original. One is the old Strong's Concordance. It was written back in the late 1800s, and it was geared towards the King James Bible. It was standard for biblical study for, oh, almost a century. But then you find that some of the newer translations that come out now have duplicated the same process where you can read another English translation, like a New American Standard, and it has the same mechanism to get me to the Hebrew or the Greek behind it, or the, the NIV, the New International, and it has its own system to connect you with the English and the NIV with the original Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew that were back there. And I don't have to know those languages. I just have to be able to count because it uses a, a numbering system to link the English to the original language. If I can count and follow a number, then I can navigate these books. And so even though I've never taken Greek or Hebrew, I can find out what is the Hebrew word behind the English? What does it mean? What is the ways it's translated? And I'd be just one step deeper into understanding a little bit more what the original concepts were. That's what a good concordance would be for you. Uh, topical Bible. A topical Bible is where uh, instead of just listing things under one particular word, 
like a concordance. If I look up a word in my concordance, it gives me every reference where that one word is used. But what happens if I'm looking at a theme in the Bible that is represented by more than just one word? It's a little bit broader. That's what we call a topic. It's a topic now, say, for instance, uh, a character quality of God, uh, his loving kindness. There may be three or four different Hebrew words that are all at one time translated loving kindness. They're all related because they share some similarity, but they're also distinct because they're separate words themselves. What the topical Bibles will do is they will bring together verses that may not all use the same English word, but they're talking about the same topic. Now, let me give you a real simple example of this, and it's one that we'll go into in the next session. Uh, some of your people in the Bible, for instance, your characters in the Bible, may have more than one name. If I look up, say, for instance, I'm doing a study on Peter. I want to study Peter's life. I look up Peter in my concordance. It will give me every reference in the Bible where the word Peter is used but it will not give me every reference in the Bible that refers to Peter because some of the passages, he's called Simon, Simon Barjona, he's called Cephas, and so forth. And so the same person may now be called different names as you go through there. What a topical Bible will do is let's take a posture, whether he's called Peter or Cephas or Simon or Simon Barjona, we're talking about the same guy. And so it throws these things together because they're related topically, even though the vocabulary is different. And those become very, very crucial with your character studies, your place studies, uh, where you can find a geographical location that changes its name over time. It used to be called this, and then it was called this later, and it's called that, but it's the same geographical location. So my topic Bible will help sort it. A concordance will not do that for me. It will just allow me to follow one particular word, whereas the topical Bible is broader. So did you mention another one? Uh, I think that covers it pretty well. I mean, I think we, you know, Manners and Customs is actually the name of a book. So uh, if you want to find out background information, then we talked a little bit about it before Bible encyclopedias and then also just uh, the, the background encyclopedia, Bible background encyclopedia, IVP, I believe you said was the kind of the one that yeah. has a good, I think they have a Old Testament and a New Testament one, right? That's right. Yeah, that's what we yeah. talked about. So um, so I think that kind of handles that. And I, I just kind of had this little picture, um, like you were saying about, it, it kind of all depends on how deep you want to go. And so the picture that I kind of had in my head is like the the world of, Biblical theology is like the ocean um, that you can swim in and it it can eat you alive. You know, like the, the ocean is just so big and vast. Um, so you might start with just a little wading pool in your backyard. You get a little wading pool. It's a hot day. Getting into the wading pool is refreshing. And it, it, it brings life to you because it's a relief from the heat of, of what you're facing. Um, and then as you get kind of comfortable with that, you're like, you know what, I, I think I'd like something more. And then you you upgrade, you know, to the uh, four-person swimming pool thing. Then you go and you get the big Costco one. You get the big Costco one set up in your backyard. And then you decide that you're Michael Phelps and you actually want an Olympic-sized swimming pool to swim in. And on and on and on it goes is that the, the, it's a beautiful thing because it's something that we can grow into. Yeah. We don't we don't need to jump into the ocean straight off. We can we can kind of you know, for lack of a better word, coming to my mind right now, kind of dabble in it a little bit and and like taste and see that the Lord is good. And then as you as you begin to get the the sustenance that comes from understanding the Word of God and applying it to your life. Really, you hunger for the things that you feed yourself. Mm -hmm. So right now, you might be hungry for Instagram and Facebook because that's what you feed yourself. But as I begin to make choices in my life to, to shift my appetites, I begin to intentionally pursue the Word of God because I know, I know that there is life there, um, that we don't have to bite the whole thing off, you know, in, in one fell swoop that we can take our time and we can step our way into it. So uh, just thought 
maybe for somebody out there, that ridiculous picture would be helpful. So, um, so, um, so you had some notes in here. One, uh, referring back again to uh, grasping God's word. Yeah. Um, and so we, we referenced that book before. Are we on, am I on the same page with you? Were you actually you are, yeah. I was going to make just some s- simple recommendations outside of, well, both books as well as, as web-based stuff for somebody that wants to venture into that waiting pool a little bit further. And if you notice the, the notes that I gave you here, there's some things to refer to book-wise or even website to give me some exposure, even what's available. Uh, I mentioned Grasping God's Word. One of the last chapters in Grasping God's Word is building a pastoral library. And if you open this up, and they keep updating this because Grasping God's Word currently is in its third edition. And so they add new uh, volumes as they come into print to the list of these. But you go through and, for instance, it will say, okay, Bible introductions. And it will give you a list of 12 different Bible introductions. And they will star some of the ones that really stand out. They stand out because the quality of material is good. They're very usable. These are ones that are used in colleges and seminaries because of their versatility. Then you can go into things like Old Testament history. Maybe one of your listeners is really the history. Look at the Testament. It'll give you 10 different books or sources on the topic, and it will star some of them saying these are outstanding. Uh, books in this if you want to look at history. And so it takes all these different sources, and then it literally goes through every book of the Bible. It will start with Genesis, and it will say, uh, what are some of the best single-volume commentaries available on Genesis? And so it will highlight the ones that are really good, but it'll give you some choices. Then you go to Exodus, and it will give you those. So if somebody wants to do like a, a book study in the Bible, and they have no idea who's written a book on the Gospel of John, they can turn it in there, find the Gospel of John. They'll probably get 12, 13 recommendations on a commentary, which is a scholar writing his comments on a text. He's explaining the text, the grammar, the background. And so that's where you get the word. He's simply saying, let me explain what this meant to the original audience. Let's explain what the background, how it fits into the scope of the book. That's what a comment is. And so it'll give you a list of those and say, this is a really good one. So you may want to say, maybe I need to purchase that one because they say this is really, really good at that point. So that little uh, list in the back of Grasping God's Word is an excellent source. If you're looking at buying books on particular areas, there's actually a website out there too. It's called bestcommentaries.com. Now bestcommentaries.com will give you a lot of the same thing that Grasping God's Word, it will give you Bible introduction works, language works, and then it will take you through to commentaries on every book of the Bible. And so you can type in Genesis, and it will give you a whole list of commentaries, and it will rate them according to the ratings that readers have given them. And readers will respond and say, I found this one more beneficial than this one. They've tallied those up, and they will come up and saying 86% of all of our responders are saying this is the best commentary on Genesis. And you can work your way down and you can find those. So bestcommentaries.com is, is also a great way to find that. Uh, another tool that people can use is just Amazon. Just type, go into Amazon, go into a book search in Amazon Books, and type in keywords in the title. Like type in the keyword Gospel John and do that. And, it will bring up all these books there. And then as people have purchased these books, a lot of times they will send back a review of these particular books. And so you can see now we've got 150 reviews on this commentary and it averages between a four and a five star. It's a pretty good one. Or this one's got 36 reviews, but it's down about a two point, two stars in there. So it's pro- the readers did not feel it was that beneficial. And so then you can click on those reviews and actually read them. And a person will write in, this was very beneficial for this area and this. And so again, for people that have actually used them and read them, you're getting some insights before you just spend a lot of money to buy these things. This one was very beneficial. This one wasn't beneficial. And so those reviews in Amazon can really be helpful for somebody who goes in. Uh, There's also some good websites. I've referred to these. Uh, You mentioned it earlier, Rick. 
If you don't want to spend a lot of money on books, then take advantage of stuff that's free right now. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's out there. Um, for Bible study in there, if you want to go into Bible study, you can have tools to get into Bible dictionaries or topical Bibles. There's about four really, really good websites. One of them is BibleHub.com. I've mentioned that to you. It's very user-friendly. uses icons and little buttons to go through. It has multiple commentaries and dictionaries and encyclopedias that are in there. And you can do a lot of stuff with that. Uh, Blue Letter Bible, blueletterbible.org, uh, the same thing. It's got a whole list of commentaries, and you just simply pick your translation, type in a scripture, and it begins to give it to you, and it's got tools next to it. Get tools, and they'll take you to dictionaries, commentaries, reading schedules, everything else, and you hit one of those, and it begins just to unpack a lot of the stuff that you're looking at. It's a great tool. Uh, BibleStudyTools.com is another one. Bible study tools, if you go to the top, the taskbar, across, it'll have study and resource tools, and you click, and these pop-down windows say, do you want a dictionary, do you want a topical Bible, do you want these, you just click on it, and then it gives you a, a window, you can type in the word you're looking for, and it accesses uh, the whole, everything that it's got within those particular volumes that are there. Uh, Studylight.org is a study it's a great, actually has over a hundred different commentaries in it, but it has accessible ones. So if you're looking at a passage in the Bible, you can type in that passage and it will literally search those and you have access to 100 sets of Bible commentaries. You don't have to buy them. They're all there. Now, word of advice to people, the reason that they're all there is because they're older and there's no copyright on them any longer. And so they don't, they may not be the most updated material, but there's some in there that are good. They're basic, good commentaries that are back there. They'll give you some decent information and so forth. And so you can glean down through the different commentaries or whatever. I was looking at it today. I was looking at dictionaries. That one, uh, Study Life, has 27 different Bible dictionaries in it. And so you can go into your dictionary slot. You can type in a word. It will go through all 27 and it will give you, here's six articles that we found that has something to say about this. And I can just go and cut and paste and I can use that material in the document and it's all right there in, fr in front of me and so forth. Now, one last one and then I'll quit. And then the last one. These web-based ones, the ones I've just given you right now are really beneficial when you have access to the internet because they're all web-based. But what happens if I'm gonna be in a place where I'm not gonna have internet access and whatever, then there is what a downloadable source that you can utilize at that point, and that is eSword. And eSword is a Bible software program that is free. Uh, you can go into eSword.net, www.esword.net. And Rick Meyer, who was a computer engineer, designed eSword to provide a tool for people to study in Bible without having to lay out a whole bunch of money. You can go into Logos and get a beautiful piece of Logos Bible software and spend a thousand dollars on it, you know. And so you get into eSword and it's free because, again, the material is older. There's no copyright on it at that point. And so he doesn't have to pay any royalty fees on it. So he can bring in some older commentaries, some older Bible dictionaries, older translations, and put it in a format. Uh, the nice thing about eSword is that you go in and when you go into the web page and you want to download it into your computer, it will give you a whole bunch of lists and say, okay, these are the available Bible translations. Which ones do you want? And a lot of people say, well, I don't want that one. I never use that one. So you can load just the translations you want. You can go into the commentaries. You can load just the commentaries that you want. You can load just the dictionaries you want. And for international people, it's got the Bible in many different languages. I think it's got like two or three different Spanish versions. It's got Chinese, Mandarin, it's got Haitian. Uh, you can go in and you can load down that. So if you've got somebody from another country where English is not their first language, they can load the Bible in their language in there. And that way they can actually do all their searches in their first language at this point. Or they can pop up a parallel screen putting English alongside of their Mandarin so they can see the two side by side to 
This is great for international students. It's great for missionaries overseas that don't have a lot of money to spend. And that's why Rick Meyer designed it that way. And so you, it's all in there and you only get what you want. You custom designed, I want this, and it won't load in anything else, which means if you don't have a whole lot of room on your hard drive, it's not gonna fill it up full of a bunch of books that you're never gonna use. So you custom design it, and then once it's in your computer, you take your computer or your, your pad uh, with you anywhere, and guess what? You don't have to have internet access. You can do all your searches. It's all right there. You can write your notes and so forth. That's the benefit of having one that's downloadable for you. It's a great little source. And again, it's older, but there's some really, really good stuff in there. Yeah, and, I, and just like you said, for the person that's just getting started, they're, they're maybe stepping beyond just the little uh, wading pool and they're going maybe a little bit for a, a fuller swim. Uh, budget is obviously a, a challenge. And, and, you know, and I think uh, theological libraries, pastoral libraries are best built little by little, you know, um, and to do it being really picky. So if you have really good solid tools to work with from a foundational perspective, then it makes it so you don't have to add stuff to your library right away. You can take your time and you can go, okay, yeah, this is an excellent book to add to my library. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make that purchase or you can, hey, wait for a sale or whatever. A cool thing about eSword is they actually have a training part on their website that walks you through um, the basics of how to do a word study, how to um, search for specific uh, phrases in the Bible, and just all these different types of actual uh, Bible study um, tools and uh, assignments you might give yourself. It actually walks you through how to utilize their software. And then the downloadable portion of it, uh, they have it for PC, they have it for Mac, they have it for iPad. They have it for iPhone, and so um, really, just about just about any uh, angle you might take, you can you can have all of that available to you for free. So it's such a great man. So thankful for the technology that has been used in that way. And so we'll put we'll put all of this information into the show notes, and so. Um, you know, all of the things that Lanny has uh, laid mentioned to, we will make sure we make that available to you so it'll be easy to access. Um, in, by way of recap, you know, we've just talked about the importance of, as we come to the Bible, um, making sure that we develop in ourselves the, the habit of being a, a lifelong learner. We want to be a reader. Readers are learners. Uh, it's often said readers are leaders. Um, but uh, you want to make sure that you're a person that is familiar with a broad range of things so that we can handle rightly the word of God. We want to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. We want to come humbly to the word of God because it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Like what you have in your hands is a powerful life-giving thing when handled correctly. When it is handled incorrectly, we build our lives on sand. And then when storms come and we are built on wrong, faulty theology, our lives can fall apart. And so this, is, this isn't just like, hey, another great thing for you to do to use up your time. Like we really are trying to point people to the words of life. It's like when Jesus gave the disciples hard words and people ditched him, you know, people were like, whatever, Jesus, I'm out. Like, I can't handle this journey. And Jesus turned and looked at the disciples and he says, are you, are you going to leave too? Are you out of here as well? And, and they just looked at him and they said, Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else are we supposed to go? And um, so trying to point you to the word of God. So be a reader uh, just be familiar with the different tools. We talked about Bible dictionaries and we talked about Bible encyclopedias and concordances and topical Bibles. And we talked about all kinds of electronic resources, again, that will be listed in the show notes. And so um, I just encourage you to uh, make it fun. Like just give yourself fun little uh, assignments to begin to dive down deep into the word of God. And what a great way to even launch into a small group. You don't want to do it alone. 
grab two or three friends and say, hey, I've always kind of wanted to just try studying the Bible together. What do you think? You want to try to do this and, and study Philippians chapter one throughout the week individually and come together and talk about what you have discovered in your Bible study throughout the week. It is a great way to build your Bible study muscles, if you will, but also to do it in a community type of setting where you're helping check one another, you're keeping each other accountable, you're balancing each other out so you're not getting too crazy a theology. You get people to help balance you in that way. And so um, it is uh, life-giving for yourself and also can be life-giving to the community. So um, again, Lainey, thank you so much uh, for all of your time and input today. It is super valuable. And uh, with that, uh, listening audience, thank you for being a part today. Um, as always, if you can like and share and comment and uh, rate the podcast, it helps get the podcast out to more people. And we love to make these tools and resources available to more people. So with that, we just say a big hearty God bless you and have the most amazing day. <laughs>